Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment that Alex has chosen is from the cantata Ich elender Mensch, wer wird mich erlösen? BWV 48. Where a chorale text offers him a picture, however external it may be, Bach takes this as the basis of his music. From Albert Schweitzer's J.S. Bach book. I've read through most of this book and Schweitzer is big on Bach being a pictorial composer. In our example we just heard, if you know anything about Bach and have been listening to this podcast for a while, even if you don't know anything about the German language, I bet you know what the words mean because you heard what the music said. The music speaks for itself. We are in the season of Lent, and I felt that this cantata was perfect for that. Now, this particular cantata was not written for the season of Lent itself, but the text is, well, you'll see, it really, it really works well for Lent. If you listen to one of these texts here, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Well, not very optimistic words, are they, Christian? <laughs> um, th- that's from the opening chorus. And before we get to my moment, which comes from a, a later movement, just listen to this opening chorus. Listen to the beginning melody played on the strings. It's always the case with Bach that the opening instrumental melody sets the tone. It's never going to trick you and go into something completely different right after the instrumental. Th- like, that is the tone. And man, does that ever express the words, oh wretched man that I am? And as you just heard when the voices entered, there was some even more dissonant harmony happening under that. But I just want to focus on this violin line because I think it's just just Bach's exquisite melodic writing. He was just an endless well of these beautiful melodies. But this is simple. This is this is good because of its simplicity. So we start with this da 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 thing, these kind of sighing motives, and then they always they float up to a, a sort of plaintive note before they fall down sadly. Like that. Listen to how this one floats up. 
and then resolves duh, a little bit higher, but then resolves. And the, the bass happening here is just these sort of plodding figures playing on beats one and three, every measure. It's if it, I'm trying to think of an adjective here. The adjective I would give is dread. Dreadful, I guess that's actually the adjective. What do you think, Christian? Dread or foreboding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, not adjectives, but nouns, I suppose. Um, foreboding, dreadful. There we go, there's some adjectives. But maybe also peaceful in a weird way. I mean, at least it's not, it's not like the music is trying to stir us up with anything um, frantic at this point. So everything starts with a text for Bach. So Christian, you and I are both church music directors, and anybody who knows church music directing and creating a church service, part of the job is to basically set the mood, right? And usually what you're given is a set of texts, or maybe it's just one text, depending on what you're doing with your church. If it's a more traditional layout, you've probably got a set of lectionary texts, which are scheduled Bible readings, basically, for the day. and you need to pick music that fits with those, or you need to pick music that fits with whatever the theme of your service is in general. And the music needs to perfectly encapsulate that if you're gonna do your job well. So let's say the service is during Lent and we're talking about Jesus being led away to the cross to his ultimate death. It would not be appropriate for us to sing Jesus Christ is risen today, a wonderful Easter mm. hymn. Not the right time, right? Mm. Yeah. It's, kind of literally incorrect information in the title there. Yes, but it's not just obvious mistakes like that. It's also, there, there are also little thematic things that you can get right or get wrong when you're choosing music. And it also has to do with how you set it, how you set the music. And with Bach, this text was before him for this day. And he was going to set out to perfectly encapsulate that into a piece of music, in, into an instrumental introduction before we even got to the text song, to put that affect into the hearer's mind. So Bach as the pictorial composer is I think one of the greatest strengths of him as a composer. Because he was so good at melody, then you get something beautiful like this. But then in the chorale movements where he's just setting a simple hymn tune which already existed, since he doesn't have to create the melody, he has a different challenge ahead of him, and that challenge is to set the harmony of the melody into something that makes sense for the text, even though it doesn't always seem like it works. So a good example of this is some of the best hymns that we have in our Lutheran tradition today are hymns in which the character of the old melody coincidentally still tends to work with the character of the text that we have today. Would you say, Christian? Mm -hmm. So there's some hymns that don't work this way because back in the day when they were composed, maybe in the 1500s or whatever, we wouldn't have thought of that minor key that was used or whatever as being so sad. And now those hymns just feel like they don't fit a, a happy text. There are some versions of that still today, and those are the ones that aren't really as popular. But something like what you talked about last week, Christian, Oh, morning star, how fair and bright. That's a glorious melody. And 
the melodic beauty of that melody still brings us to the same like sense of ecstasy today. I think I'm going to make a broad statement here. You can tell me if you think I'm wrong about this. I think that the Baroque era right around here is when Western music started to solidify into what it is today in terms of melodic feeling and what that means emotionally. Like, in other words, if Bach wrote this music to sound this way, angsty and full of pain, then we still feel that listening to it now. I mean, this, this could be, I could be wrong about this, but this could be more subjective than I'm giving it credit for. And maybe it's just because we know Bach that I feel this way about. Mm-hmm. But I think that most people who understand any Western music, even if they aren't churchgoers, would hear this and be like, oh, this is like sad and dreadful, right? Yes, I think- Western music-wise, I, think, um, I, I admit that it's kind of particular to Western music. I'd say it happens a little bit earlier than Bach's time, probably more n- near the beginning of the Baroque era. There's some stuff by Henry Purcell that's like- That's true. Bang on to what you would emotionally feel. But, yes, that's true. And w- But wouldn't you say that like in, the, in Luther's day, for example, some of that stuff, it, it's a little more nebulous. Like, yes, there were still major and minor feels, although everything was a lot more modal. But Yeah, that but, was in a different time. I that think was that's what it is. Before 1600. When I you mean, go from modal to tonal, I think that's when that happens. But yeah. it's interesting to me that when we went from that, that, that has really just stuck with us. Well, it, it's actually, I think, Alex, because of, mo- because of tonal harmony, yeah. not because of melody. So and actually, it, I got my cause and effect mixed up. Maybe yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I think it is. It has more to do with the harmony. It's sort of like how... It's a little confusing of a thing to realize that chords were invented second and polyphony was first. You know, that that's just such yeah. a weird thing to take in. But it, if you follow the course, the slow churn of music history, that is true. So also is true that the development of harmony, like the new technology of the major and minor tonal system that emerged around 1600 and solidified into the 1600s and by 1700 was totally standard, is what generates the affect the range of different emotion right which uh from which the melodies flow naturally i think and if you're thinking to yourself i don't know i just i could think of just a melody right now you know i bet that i bet that it was tonal you know i bet it was major or minor if you're just thinking of something off the top of your head that's how ubiquitous that system is now to our ears it is melody and harmony coexist right in, a, in the context of tonality for us. And that means something is in a key. And most likely it's major or minor, at least on balance. And before major and minor were really thought of like that and there were more modes and some of them were like kind of in between major and minor. We, I can't stress this enough when I talk about this because people think that there used to be more modes and now we don't use a lot of modes and that's objectively worse or something. I, I can't stress enough that Harmony as we know it right now is only possible because composers of the like early Baroque or so era settled on using actual tonality, like functional tonality instead of, instead of just modes, and that gave them actually more freedom to work within that space. Yeah, they did not see it as a constriction. It, it, what it resulted in was, was functional music, right? Functional chords, functional harmony underneath the music. It resulted in, it was a huge... It was a huge deal in music, you know? Mm-hmm. And as the centuries went on into the 19th century, but also 18th, the whole 18th century, and even in Bach's time, there emerged the concept of harmonic progression. Mm-hmm. And 
chords can move in one direction and chords don't just get picked for random color and their sequences are not cyclical and circular and kind of like we use today we use like four chord sequences for their particular repetitive strength right but that's not that i'm not saying that's either good or bad i'm just saying in classical music it does not work that way the harmony is part of the storytelling device and it moves us forward through time and you can't reverse the order of the chords in most cases it, it doesn't work sometimes you can have a symmetrical chord progression you know true yep if you flip that around, it would sound the same because it's just the three. First, second, first again. But flip that around, retrograde it in time, like play it backwards in time. It's like a pop music progression. Yeah, it, didn't, it, stu- it suddenly did not sound classical anymore. That's because... In classical music, some chords must be followed by certain other chords. And they cannot go backwards. They must go forwards. And so, with the advent of that style of harmony, it gave grounding for melodies to have a little more character to them i mean medieval composers could have written melodies that sound like like these hymns and in fact some of them come down to us from that time but the fact is that now with this clothing of harmony of implied harmony with where the melody goes it gives the melody more like character and it makes you kind of empathize with the character of the melody more and for something like what bach created for this opening movement with the violins it's it's a free composition for Bach he doesn't he's not having to put any other melodies in here at least not yet and we'll see in a second he will actually do that because he can't help himself because Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll talk about it in a second but here you just you just have this violin melody with chords underneath played on beats usually and that's what you get from Bach the melody Every shape of these little melodies here is the same. It comes up to this little light top note as if uh, to try to climb up out of the depths. But it doesn't succeed because then it always falls down to... It's always painting a picture, telling a story, and it's doing that through not just the shape of the melody that I described, but it's doing that through the tonality of what's happening under it. The harmony... Is telling a story and it's pushing us. I used the word dread before. It's pushing us along in this sense of dread. The rhythm is doing that too, actually. Everything is working together. That's why Bach is a masterful composer. Nothing in here, no choice that is made in here is made lightly or for no reason. In a creative sense, I I doubt that Bach actually had every single one of these ideas in his forefront. It was more just he had really good musical instinct having honed that for, for years. And of course, having practiced his craft for that long. But also, we have to admit that like he was a special... His brain was special too, right? There's a reason why he had an unbelievable technical skill of counterpoint. So this beautiful music, it could, it could be enough, right, to have that lovely violin melody and then have these voices come in on their little sad da-da-dum thing on the Ich Elendermensch thing. But 
it's not just that. He also has two horns or trumpets, um, although they kind of sound like oboes, don't they? Because uh, the Baroque trumpets hmm. have that have that milder sound than what our modern trumpet has. Is it not one trumpet and then the other is two unison oboes? It says, oh, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. They must split up later. I don't know the rest of this cantata as well. Wait, I wonder what the reason is why there's two oboes. I'm curious now. No, because one of the arias is a regular oboe solo. Maybe he just specified that because he really wanted- Balance. that, That balance, yeah. You don't see that all that often. That's cool, that's interesting. Yeah, so you what you're about to hear, there is a trumpet enter on a chorale tune. This would have been a, a tune that they might, hearers might have known. And the singers aren't singing this chorale tune. Bach just puts it in. You hear that, and then you hear oboes playing it again in a canon, a different pitch. To be clear, it sounds like I think earlier I said that melodies come forth only from harmony, uh, modern major minor tonal harmony. Of course, that's not always true. There was plenty of melodies. There's plenty of old melodies that work in modern harmony. And here's the example. Mm-hmm. Bach set a countless number of old melodies that were invented before his his modern tonality, and he set them in to a framework that works for his his contemporary tonality. He altered rhythms and notes to do so, actually. Yeah, and a famous, yeah, famous example is Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is a classic Lutheran anthem written by Martin Luther himself. And the rhythm of that is completely changed by Bach. But here, the thing I love about this is that it's, it's just like he can't, even, he can't even help himself. He's got to put the chorales in there. And not only just one, but two, like he in puts canon. the same one in in canon. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. We were, we were talking about this before we started recording, like what other composer would do this? This is such a Bach thing. It's so much effort to make that work because you have to follow the rules of counterpoint so carefully. And it's in the background a lot of the times. Your, our ears are drawn to the singing, but, but it's, it's it, But it serves, the, it, serves the, it serves the affect, right? It serves everything. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't make these choices for no reason. That's what's fascinating to me about the difference between this and the keyboard works where he's able to kind of just let loose and do his own thing. Those are cool for a different reason for that. But this, it's like he does this because this is what this cantata is about. This is not a this is not an abstract piece of art. Right? No, and and actually contrapuntally, that's the those snippets of the old chorale melody, what we might call like building something around this, we might call that cantus firmus, the mm-hmm. the strong melody that everything else is built around. Those are like the tree that the treehouse is built around. Like those, mm, those are the parts mm-hmm. that can't move, especially since he set two of them in canon. It's like two trees that are really close to each other. And Bach said, if I plant these two trees right next to each other in just this way, they, but they, this is just exactly what they will look like. And I can build I have some flexibility to build around them. But then when you listen to it, it doesn't come across that way at all. It's, it's so organic, the treehouse itself. It it's almost seems like it was always there. But then you look inside and there's two trees there and they had to be made first. Mm-hmm. And also that Bach, Bach is such a poet, you know, because he's, 
Even though he usually didn't write his own text for this stuff, and this is no exception, the chorale text was an old hymn text, and then the other stuff, like the recitatives and stuff, and the opening chorus was by some anonymous librettist. But he was so good with words, Bach was, and how he would set them. I mean, there's an endless well of discovery here. Like, check this out. We already said the, the chorus, the, the words that were sung here are, O wretched man that I am, ich elender Mensch, right? And then it's, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's it. There's seven and a half or eight minutes long of this opening chorus filled with dread, and those are the only words spoken. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? But there's a clue, and that is the chorale that we heard from the trumpets and the oboes. That is a melody that people would know, and if they knew it, they knew what the text was. And the text, we actually will hear that later in this very cantata, so Bach does give it to us later in case we didn't know it. But the text is this. Lord Jesus Christ, my only comfort, to thee will I turn. That's the answer to the question. Mm -hmm. That that's, that's it. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Right? It's there. You just have to look for it. It's all there. This is what I love about the Bach cantatas. Because as much as I do love those keyboard works that are more abstract and not about anything, these cantatas are always full of meaning because Bach cares about that stuff. And that chorale melody is there to answer the question that is in this first movement. I bet that the librettist didn't say, oh, you know what, you should put that in there. I bet that was Bach. Hmm. You know, Alex, the idea of something unfolding slowly, narratively, in a piece of music like this, composers 100 years after Bach took, uh, well, 50 years even after Bach, started taking great pains to devise this whole system of doing this symphonically, right? And stretching and stretching things out into what we now call sonata form in order to tell a story with different themes and maybe even like have some sort of beautiful result at the end that's a little bit different than the sum of its parts and mm. a progression that seems like it was inevitable to go there. But it's all very abstract and honestly easily missable by today's ears. Yeah. However, this Baroque music doesn't have sonata form and you don't think of we don't think of progression in that long-term way. Music theorists don't in Baroque music, but it's all in the, in the text. It's all there. Bach absolutely engineered this whole thing. Like you said, he planted a seed at the beginning. We are like wallowing in miserable despair at the beginning. But if you knew your music, if you knew your hymns, you would know that there was a tiny glimmer of hope. If you didn't know your hymns, you didn't know this. Mm -hmm. So it was there and you had to wait till the end for that shining light the only comfort of Jesus Christ uh, to reveal himself on the final chorale. Musical storytelling over, over an extended piece of, of work. It's a very advanced skill. Yes. And even though that is an amazing, amazing moment and an amazing hidden gem in the first movement, um, which, like I said, leads to the chorale me melody from the seventh movement, it still is not my moment for the day, and that is how we will end this episode. We will end it with my moment, which is from a middle chorale movement. And I want to just play this for you and show you, because if you know us, you'll know that once I heard this, I, I, I thought, oh, well, that's it. <laughs> like, this is a moment. The harmony, right? We just, we've been talking about harmony. What Bach does with this melody, which is a melody he did not write, how he arranges it, to set the text is what is remarkable here. If it has to be, this is what the text says, 
if it has to be that punishment and agony must follow after sin. Then continue here on earth and spare me there in heaven, and let me here do penance. And now here is that middle chorale movement. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this piece, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of Ich Eilander Mensch by the Netherlands Bach Society. To hear our new episodes as we release them, find us on your podcast app. Okay, Christian. What moment are we going to talk about in next week's episode? In next week's episode, we talk about three transitional moments between pairs of movements in the St. Matthew Passion. Until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>